session with the comic book couples counseling podcast i'm lisa gullickson i'm brad gullickson and each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm this week we're closing out 2018 with a special bonus episode focusing specifically on the relationship between scott free and big barda as witnessed in one of the year's best books mr miracle from writer tom king and illustrator mitch gerads goodbye 2018 hello 2019 this has been a nutty year for us, Brad. <laughs> this marks the first full year where both of us have quit our jobs and now are full-time being our own bosses. And it's crazy, but I I think I think we're doing okay. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty proud of ourselves. High five, Lisa. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, while 2018 has socially and politically been a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> Creatively, yeah. Culturally, uh, the year was filled with an incredible array of great movies, novels, and comic books. This podcast has really fired up my love of comic books. I I loved diving into Jean Grey and Scott Summers and really thinking about who they are as people and who they are as a couple. For sure. And now with this book with Mr. Miracle, this is a new character for me and Big Barda, new character for me. And really, I, I mean, I love these books and really getting into the nitty gritty of how the mechanism of their love helps them survive is just I just, it's just astounding. Yeah, uh, I've fallen hard for Marvel's X continuity personally. Since recording our last episode, I've been playing a lot of catch up uh, to reach Matthew Rosenberg's current Uncanny X-Men books, mm -hmm. which I'm really enjoying. And by the way, Tom Taylor's X-Men Red from this year was also one of my favorite comics of 2018. Lisa, I highly recommend you check that out at some point. I'm going to, I'm going to have to get into that one for sure. So, yeah, thank you, listeners. Stay with us. We've got a lot of exciting content coming your way in the new year. Yeah, and on that note, thanking our listeners, our last episode concluded our conversation surrounding Scott Summers and Jean Grey, like Lisa said. It was a jam-packed episode, and it sparked a lot of conversation with all you beautiful people out there. Uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you on Twitter, uh, arguing you uh, <laughs> with Twitter. Scammer? Uh, uh, yeah, scammer, man. Oh, boy. I, like... The conversation has been driving me closer and closer to appreciating the relationship of Scott Summers and Emma Frost. I'm sorry. I'm two, sorry, listeners. Two broken people helping each other <laughs> in a mixed up crazy world. Uh, but you guys also reminded us that we didn't exactly cover everything we wanted to in that episode. Uh, we mentioned how Grant Morrison is a little problematic with 2018 eyes. And yeah, Let's just cover that real quick before we jump into the rest of this Mr. Miracle bonus episode. Yeah, the the issue that we really want to talk about is uh, the the coming out of Hank McCoy, the coming out of Beast. Right. And this is a storyline that really bugged me while I was reading the book. 
So what happens is Beast comes out as gay in a really super public way, and Scott... Well, he he first comes out to his ex-girlfriend when she denies him. When she, you know, because he's turned into this lion man, Mm -hmm. uh, she's repulsed and can't possibly imagine being with him. Right. So in that moment of rejection, he goes, oh, that's okay. Uh, I don't think I'm into ladies anymore anyway. Yeah, that that happened before this timeline. So I, I hadn't read that, but Brad told me about it. So I'm like, okay. And then, um... And so he's kind of grappling with his new identity. And um, and so is Scott. And Scott's going like, I've known you all of these years. I've never known you to be with a man. You've always had girlfriends. So you're not gay. And Hank is like, shut up. I am gay. And I was using this as evidence of, what a jerk Scott really is because you can't just look at someone and, you know, tell them their identity. You can't, you can't say, well, you've never been with a man, so clearly you're not gay. Or you've, you've, you've lain with a woman, so obviously you're not gay. There are many straight people who have never lain with anybody just because that's not the direction their life took, but... Deep down inside, they have an identity one way or another. Or there's like many gay people who, in a period of self-discovery, have been with, you know, the opposite sex or or straight people in the, you know, right, there's, a, yeah. there's a trial period well, the, in your I mean, sexuality. There's growth, yeah. There's growth, and, and um, everybody's just doing the best that and they Scott can. And Scott Summers saying, yo, you're not gay, is a jerk move. Although, as Morrison starts to unpack what Hank is doing there, he's saying, look, I, I'm maybe I'm not gay, but I might as well be. It's just another label. And that really broke my heart because Hank McCoy is a character that I love. And, the, and he knows what it's like to be persecuted. He knows what it's like to um, be rejected because of his identity as a mutant. And so for him to put on the um, identity as a gay person when he is not gay is a cruel and selfish act, no matter how he perceives it. He goes, well, you know, I can advocate for gay people in this way. Like, there are many ways you can advocate for all kinds of people without lying or without taking on their identity. I, I, it was just bizarre to me. Well, uh, let's ha- let Grant Morrison have uh, a word in this matter. He did an interview towards the end of his new X-Men run with Comic Book Resources uh, in which he says this. I was trying to talk about the fact that being gay is just a label, like being black or being British or being a fan of Madonna. I saw Henry McCoy as an incredibly clever, witty, cultured, well-traveled, experienced, well-read character, so I brought out those parts of his personality which seemed to me to fit the profiles of the smartest and most worldly people I know. His sense of humor is dark and oblique. He's obviously quite clearly bipolar and swings between manic excitement and ghastly self-doubt. He has no dark secrets, however, and nothing to hide. End quote. I find that quote bizarre. Um, I I just, there's no explaining away, Grant Morrison, there's no explaining away 
this very unevolved way you try to have the conversation about um, what it means to be gay or what it means to be part of a cultural group. I read that and I see progressive white dude. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, not too long ago, Lisa and I reread, uh, the Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, uh, run on Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Yeah. And those two guys are trying to be open-minded and progressive and talk about the future, uh, and talk about social issues in an enlightened way, but with the lens of 2018. They're just utterly failing. Yeah. They're just utterly failing. But I do admire them for trying. I appreciate the conversation, and I appreciate the conversation that Grant Morrison is attempting here, too. Uh, he's a wacky dude who really wanted to get back to social issues with comic books. And, you know, the X-Men were born out of that and he was uh, pursuing that. Yeah. But now with the 2018 conversation and with the ideas of Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, Me Too Too and Time's Up, now the idea about labels has gone to whatever your label is, whether you are a white comic book male writer guy or you are a gay mutant, or you are a, you know, I don't know, whatever. Whatever your identity is, there is baggage that comes along with it. When If you are a mutant and that is your label, you have all of the um, anti-mutant narrative coming at you and all of the... Uh, negativity and and you bring that that all of that oppression becomes part of the person that you are and um and we see that lgbt people who are coming out and telling their story we're also having to understand the um cultural weight that 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 comes with and I think that um, Grant Morrison and coming up with this storyline for Hank McCoy for The Beast, I think he um, hadn't really considered that side of sure. of whatever your label is. Sure. And I think that coming, like being a white male, you don't necessarily realize all of the privilege that that comes with. And you take all of that privilege for granted. And I, and I would be interested to hear what Grant Morrison says about it today. And if um, living through the year that was 2018, even as a, a non-American, he's Scottish. Does he live in the United States now or I, no? I think he does, but I'm not 100% sure. I so, want to, uh, I have no idea. So Because Morrison Khan is like overseas. I don't know. So how much like our conversation has changed as a culture considering, um, you know, what it means to be a minority in one way or another. Um, I, I would be interested to see if he talks about it in a different way, even if it's not in context with Hank McCoy and, and this particular storyline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As we said, problematic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've addressed it now. Uh, thank you for indulging us. I know several of you have probably come here to talk Mr. Miracle, and we're going to do that. Yeah. Is he a master of spectacular trickery, or is he something more? 
You will have to decide when you confront the strangest, most incredible hero to ever appear in comics. You will see what he does. You will wonder how he does it. But always waiting in the wings are his two greatest enemies, the men who challenge him and death himself. Meet Mr. Miracle, super escape artist. (laughs) (laughs) Who is that sexy voice? That was Darren Smith, a.k.a. at the Disco Dork from our other podcast, In the Mouth of Dorkness. Uh, He was reading the first caption that appears on page one of the original Mr. Miracle comic written, drawn, and edited by Jack the King Kirby in April of 1971. And this is the exact same text that opens... The arc that we're talking about. Right. Uh, Yes. As Scott is bleeding out on the bathroom floor. (laughs) Correct. Correct. Uh, Yeah. So, Mr. Miracle, um, I think we should do just a quick bit of historical context. In the 1960s, along with Stan Lee, Kirby created all of your favorite Marvel comics, the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor. Uh, the Invincible Iron Man, and our favorites, of course, the Uncanny X-Men. However, towards the end of the 1960s, Kirby grew more and more dissatisfied with his relationship with Stan Lee and Marvel in general. So in 1970, he was given a contract with Marvel that prohibited him from legal action regarding character creator rights, and he rejected it. Uh, He walked right across the street to DC Comics and their editor-in-chief, Carmine Infantino. There, he created a series of interlinked comic books, Under the banner of the fourth world, those titles included The Forever People, The New Gods, and Mr. Miracle. The original run of Mr. Miracle lasted 18 issues, and it was, yes, the longest running title of the fourth world characters. DC wanted Kirby to work on other uh, characters that he wasn't terribly crazy about, so he eventually left DC and went back to Marvel for a bit and worked on comics like Captain America, and he took his fourth world ideas and reworked them into the Eternals, which is a title that's about to explode thanks to the MCU. Uh, so yeah, watch that space kids. So did this did Kirby's Mr. Miracle have like the same kind of background story that our Mr. Miracle has in yes. this book? Uh, you know, he's from New Genesis and well, okay, like this is what's interesting about Scott Free, uh, is that he's not the original Mr. Miracle. Uh, he took the persona from an earthling escape artist named Thaddeus Brown, who was killed by some nasty gangsters. And that all happens in the first issue. Uh, Scott is the son of Isaiah Highfather, ruler of the planet New Genesis. His world was in constant conflict with a rival planet known as Apocalypse, not ominous at all there, <laughs> uh, which is ruled by the evil dictator Darkseid. Uh, In an effort to broker peace, both fathers traded their sons with the other. High father's kid, Scott Free, was sent to Apocalypse to be raised in the fiery X-Pits. And Darkseid's second-born son, Orion, went to live in the paradise of New Genesis. Scott grew up in the terror orphanages of Granny Goodness. It was as pleasant as it sounds, and Scott rebelled against the demons that raised him. He befriended and ultimately fell in love with one of Darkseid's Furies, Big Barda, and together they battled the hatred and horror of Apocalypse. Okay, well, so that's more or less the same background as our Scott. Yes. Yeah. 
So after those original 18 issues of the 1970s, Mr. Miracle found himself tumbling through the DC universe. He would pop up in Batman's The Brave and the Bold. He and Barda had dealings with Justice League International. And even Grant Morrison had a take on the character when he was working on his Seven Soldiers of Victory event back in 2005. Ooh, I would read that. It's wild. I'm a fan of it, uh, but I have not read it since its publication. Uh, It's extremely heady. If you thought he was convoluted and up his ass with new (laughs) X-Men. Get ready. So for today's episode, we're tackling the 12-issue limited series for writer Tom King and illustrator Mitch Gerads, or Gerads, or I don't know how to say his name, but that's okay, um, which started in August of last year and finally concluded this past November. Yes, and thanks to his work on Batman and The Vision, we came to this series as major Tom King fans, Um, but neither of us had really had much interaction with artist Mitch Jarrods, uh, who King and Jarrods did a comic book called The Sheriff of Babylon, and after reading Mr. Miracle, I definitely want to go back Mm -hmm. and read their collaboration there, and of course, whatever they do going forward, I am on board. I love the art. I mean, I... and. The art is intimately related with the themes of the book. There are are things that you learn from the art that you don't learn from the text. For Um, sure, yes. So, like, this is an amazing collaboration. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm with the rest of the comic book community. I think that this 12-issue run is easily one of the best comics of 2018 and may, in fact, actually be my favorite book, which is crazy to say since it took me this long to get to it. Uh, I had been collecting all the issues but not reading them because I wanted it all to be done before I started. I'm that kind of jerk. Uh, And, yeah, and now I've done it in the last week of December, and man, am I in love. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not surprised that I love it, because I love that vision run, and that would make another amazing bonus episode if we just covered that entire, his entire run of the vision. Yeah, the coupling of the vision and his mechanical family. Yeah, that would be so good. Okay, so let's do a quick basic rundown of the plot of these 12 issues. Can we do it, Lisa? Let's do this thing. Okay, take it away, Lisa. This book opens with the attempted suicide of Scott Free. He's slashed his wrists, and Big Barda has discovered him on the bathroom floor of their apartment on Earth, which is in Los Angeles. He's recovering and learns that Darkseid has acquired the anti-life equation, i.e. it's a mathematical formula that grants total control over sentient beings. <laughs> and I guess, like, the in- the ability to change reality to others right in the sight of others yeah uh the high father has died and orion now sits on the throne of new genesis the omnipotent metron visits scott and tells him not to look into the face of god granny goodness arrives on earth and big barter kills her scott and big barter travel to new genesis where they've been called to battle the parademons of apocalypse In conversation with Orion, Scott begins to believe that reality has been altered and the phrase dark side is keeps popping up in his head. Orion finds out about Scott's reality slips and accuses him of being compromised by dark side. There's a trial over which Orion is judge and jury. Barter supplies a veggie tray. And Scott is found guilty and is sentenced to death. 
Uh, Barda is like, well, that's not happening. And so she and Scott go to New Genesis to kill Orion, but Orion is already dead, killed by Darkseid. Big Barda is pregnant and gives birth to a baby boy named Jacob. The Stanley Standin, Funky Flashman, becomes Jacob's nanny. Scott Free uh, then becomes the High Father of New Genesis and continues the war with Darkseid until Darkseid propositions this idea that we'll cease fire with New Genesis if Scott and Barda hand over Jacob to the terror orphanages. Yeah, no, more battling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, should we just say the end of the book? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, spoilers if you haven't read it. Well, we've already spoiled like most of the book except for the last <laughs> issue. So the last issue, well, at the end of the second to last issue, um, Barda convinces Scott to not hand over the baby because he seriously considers it. Sure. Um, but to keep Barda happy, I think, and because he really does love being a father and love his son, he decides. Okay, I'm going to turn I'm going to pretend like I'm turning over Jacob, but then I'm going to fulfill Granny's prophecy and I'm going to kill Darkseid. Right. And Darkseid in the trade, uh he it's you know, the anti-life equation is knowledge, so he can't just cut that out of his head, but what he can do is rip one of his eyeballs out, uh which doesn't uh, which, which basically negates his omega beams. Mm-hmm. And without the omega beams, apparently he can't uh, use the formula. I don't know why, comics man. I know. Um, but the so after he defeats Darkseid using the Farron knife that Barda created out of Orion's remains, um, the Metron appears and is like, now that you've done this, this is your final huge escape. You've escaped death for the last time. And now this whole world of superheroes is open to you and you can join the ranks of Wonder Woman and Superman and Batman. Right. This entire time we've been reading this comic book, we've noticed that Scott Free has been adorned in T-shirts that look very much like the T-shirts I wear. (laughs) Batman logos, Superman logos, Aquaman logos, Wonder Woman logos. And Jacob's favorite toy and his favorite thing is Batman. Right. And Funky Flashman, you know, being a Stan Lee stand-in goes... You know, Batman kills babies. You, or no, no, actually. Now Scott says that Batman yeah. kills babies because so of the Stan Lee uh, stand-in was promoting Batman. That's crazy. That is crazy. Um, but they decide ultimately not to join the ranks of the greatest superheroes and instead continue their family life in Los Angeles. And at first, Scott has a lot of problems with that. He's still having a lot of visions. The final issue of Mr. Miracle uh, is more of like an epilogue where he's having conversations with all these people that he has known that have helped raise him and have died uh, along the way. Conversations with Granny Goodness. And Oberon. And Oberon, uh, his escape artist trainer. Um, and they're, they're both saying different things, you know, like, and oh, Bug, also the Forager. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Forager's like, you're in hell. And, and Orion says, no, you're in heaven. And, uh, you know, he's definitely in 
a different universe than DC, whether he died on the floor of that bathroom or not. How do you feel about that? I've seen interpretations where they say the whole book going forward is at, is all in his head post-suicide. I, I think that whether Scott is living in reality or living in some kind of afterlife or is still being influenced or by dimension. the anti-life equation, mm. I think that all of that is kind of a moot point. Mm. The entire idea, like the entire book is about Scott coming to peace with and gaining perspective on his place in the world. And, um, and, and it doesn't really matter if the world is real or not. What, what's important is that it's real to Scott and that it's important to Scott. It's an insane place to start a book, right? With your hero bleeding out on a bathroom floor mm -hmm. and for 12 issues, he's still dealing with what put him there. Right. He's not recovered by the start of issue 12. He's not out of a depression, even though his relationship with Big Barda has reached the new level of parenthood. <laughs> so I think we're ready to go into session. Do you want to do you want to talk about Scott and Big Barda's relationship? Yeah, do, have let's we covered do it. everything? I mean, we've been talking for like 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what I feel is the crux of the storyline that is Scott's relationship to Big Barda is the fact that Big Barda is the one who takes care of things. She takes care of Scott. Um, she takes care of the household. She right. is the one who thinks of veggie trays. Right. She's the one who makes sure Michelle comes to take care of the cats. One of my Scott oh, favorite moments in that trial sequence mm -hmm. is, you know, he's had his carrot. There, he's listening to. It's before Orion um, really confronts him with a true or false notion. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you say true enough to all these statements, I'm going to imprison you, or actually, I'm going to execute you because you can't escape. You'll escape from any prison I create. He 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 sticks out his chest. He's in his Mister Miracle uniform, and he says, "You know, I escape from traps. That's what I do." And Big Barda is sitting on the couch next to Light Ray, and she just turns to Scott and says, "Go, and we go." Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, like this this trial is is BS. I'm Big Barda. I can devastate all of you, and I'll take care of my man. Right. Go, she, and we'll go, Scott. Her, like they have these contrasting and complementary powers that we're definitely going to have to dig into. But for me, it's all about um, Big Barda is having to stay strong while he's deteriorating. Yeah. While Scott is losing his mind and there, it's sort of interesting in context with our conversation around Scott Summers and Jean Grey, big Barda and, and Mr. Miracle, the, they have uh, similar issues dealing with um, their power sets. Right. And, and there are a few times where Scott has been, has had to step up as the caretaker and and he does it but it is disorienting for them both um like we think about when uh big barda is in labor mm. and scott has to be the one to talk to the people from the boom tube oh, the and, furies yeah, her has sisters to, has to talk to the furies and she you know like they show up and she's like ah you know, I'm in labor. I don't I don't have time for this. And he goes like, 
well, I guess I can go talk to them. And they're both kind of stunned by the fact that Scott is the one who has to take care. But she is put in a place where she takes, has to take care so often that, that Scott doesn't necessarily appreciate it until a certain point in the book. And um, she's exhausted by it in a certain point of the book. Yeah, that is probably my single favorite issue of the entire series, the the birthing of Jacob. Mm-hmm. You know, while, uh, you know, gosh, first off, they get to the uh, emergency room and the valet at the emergency room is like, no, I'm not going to take your car. You need to go find the lot, which is like miles away. Right, right. <laughs> and Barter refuses to just be dropped off at the door of the hospital. She's like, no. We go find a parking spot and then we'll walk our butts all the way back. Yeah. And well, they do okay. that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now it's time for her to go into labor and they still haven't picked any names. And so Scott's throwing out all these ridiculous new Genesis names mm-hmm. that I love. Uh, and before Barda tells the story about Jacob's Ladder, which was the exit from the X pits. Uh, and so that's where Jacob comes from, the name. Yeah. Which is really beautiful. That is beautiful. But that's also a place of guilt in their relationship because Scott's power is to escape. And he had nearly escaped the pits. And it was Barda who was the one, who was the fury that dragged him back. And yeah. I think that, um, that that might be a source of why she feels so pr- protective of Scott because of this betrayal in their childhood. Sure. And, it, and, you know, she left her people of apocalypse. She left the Furies. And now here they are waiting in the uh, the waiting room uh, to see what wretched spawn this mating of New Genesis and Apocalypse has created. And I love, love, which is a massive setup to that final stabbing of Darkseid in the 11th issue, when Bernadette, gives Scott the Farron knife because the doctors are not going to be able to cut any of Big Barda's flesh. Well, they presume that she's going to need a cesarean. Because that's how it's done on Apocalypse. On Apocalypse, they don't wait until the baby's ready. Right. So, you know, he goes, uh, thanks? And of course, when Jacob is born in an amazing, (laughs) another amazing nine-panel page uh, that Jared's illustrates of the baby coming out of Big Barda. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, you know, I, I'm I'm like I've never seen a birth from that point of view, from the vagina's point of view in a comic book. But oh, uh, I found it to be really incredible. It, I'm sure some other artist has thought of that idea before, but uh, it's amazing in the context of this miracle, Mister Miracle comic. Uh-huh. So when the Jacob's coming out, you see that the umbilical cord has wrapped around his poor little neck and he's not crying and he's going to die. And thankfully, Bernadette has given him the Farron knife so the doctor can cut the umbilical cord off of Jacob's neck. Jacob wails, healthy baby boy, all is good. And I think that's beautiful because his fa- Jacob's father, um, Scott's power is to escape. And so the first thing he does as a father is help Jacob escape the coil of that umbilical cord. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And again, how it sets up the Orion Farron knife uh, and and its placement into Darkseid in the 11th issue is really, really beautiful. And mm, ah, chef's kiss. So good. So good. I think it's really interesting that Scott Free and Big Barda 
witnessed each other's childhood together, kind of like siblings do, except for obviously they're not siblings, they're lovers, and that would be gross. But the fact that they can give each other perspective on each other's childhood, because Scott is so devastated at the beginning of the book and having such a hard time reckoning with his life that he tries to commit suicide. And throughout the book, he's grappling with how he was raised. And Big Barda is there to say, like, I was there, and here's how it really was. Yeah, you see Granny Goodness as this, but Granny Goodness is that. In reality was that. And um, and even though they grew up side by side, they got very different treatment because Scott Free was an adopted son of Apocalypse, and he was raised with the idea that he had inherent value. Um, he felt uh, he was repeatedly told, I love you by Granny Goodness, and, and he took that message to heart, and he felt like... Um, he was built, being built up for something through all of this pain where uh, Barda is, was born on Apocalypse. She is... A soldier. A, a soldier of Apocalypse. And she sees everything that was done with the clarity of this was all manipulation. They were trying to sculpt you through this kind of... Um, emotional tool and it none of it was real and and um, and she is dealing with a lot of um, distrust of love and Scott is very um, generous with the words of affirmation he says I love you often and um, we and he says you're beautiful, and we see these compliments kind of bounce off of Big Barda in a way, until the issue where they've decided to go back and face Orion because he, you know, he's been sentenced to death, and neither of them want that to happen, especially Barda. And she tells Scott that she is having his baby, and. He is so excited and happy and he hugs her and he says, I love you. And she and and that's the first time we really see that affirmation sink in. And she she says, you know, like Han Solo, she's like, I know, <laughs> but completely different, you know. So so they're both dealing with this childhood in different ways. Scott is dealing with it by unraveling. And um, having this sort of identity crisis and reality crisis. And she's dealing with it by being so strong all of the time. And, and both of them, both of them have their own cracks in their own, in their own time, I guess. Yeah. And the reality is this is a romance comic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for all it's grappling with continuity and it's meta commentary. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about this love that it takes a little while for it to sink in or for, I guess, Big Barda to lower her guard in that moment. Uh, but from then on, I want to say it's an issue five. You, you know, we see them couple 
we, you know, we see them have sex a couple times in that issue. Uh, at one point, we see them have a, a, a kinkier sex scene right. where Barda ties Scott down and he's like, I can escape from anything. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that they do have a lot of power play in their relationship. And I like the idea that that is reflected in their lovemaking because... In even in their lovemaking, Scott is the submissive and Barda is the strong one. But he still has this this thing where, like, I can escape. I can get out of this. <laughs> but I'm choosing not to. I'm choosing to be submissive to you and not escape you. And so that's the sex scene that sort of starts the book. Mm-hmm. But the that or the, that issue. But issue five concludes with. Well, I'm going to go meet my fate on New Genesis. Orion's going to execute me. This is our last moment together. And we see Barda finally cry. She um, she's worried sick and they're trying to have this last day together. And it's the worst last date. And, and they, <laughs> yeah, and they go to see the lights of LA. They drive through LA traffic to take a look at the stars and Scott doesn't even see the stars. Yeah, Scott wants to experience the stars of heaven meet the stars of man, the lights of the freeways. And of course it's LA. That smog's not going to let any <laughs> of space enter its atmosphere. Yeah, and then um, they finally come home and Barda, even even as they're walking into their building, you know, she's waving at the doorman. She's walking strongly. They walk into the apartment. Um, she tries to be dismissive, but then she just sits down and cries. And, and Scott comforts her um, through through physical love. touch and love and, and sex and... And following that sex scene, you know, so the the boom well, tube comes. And here's the, the thing: come so Orion's coming, yeah. and Funky Flashman is also there because Funky Flashman is Scott's agent, and he's trying to spin the inevitable death of his client as a suicide, as like a noble suicide, uh-huh. because he's got merchandise, Mister Miracle stuff that he's got to sell, and then the boom tube hits. Funky Flashman's there. And Big Bart is there. She takes out her cosmic club and beats the guards to death. And, you know, Funky Flashman can't deal with that. But he eventually comes to terms with those murders. Uh, (laughs) And Big Barda and Scott Free head off to New Genesis to wage war. Yeah, she she says, stay. And And he's like, yeah. And so, yeah. And so then we have our um, infiltration of Orion and her telling Scott, we have to, we have to um, create more room in this condo. Well, so because- <laughs> that issue, issue yeah. six, so fun, is a blast. And what Tom King does throughout this entire series is set up these massive confrontations. So now they're on New Genesis, and Scott and Barda are going through. Uh, the palace obliterating goon after goon, uh, killing s- giant sea beasts and using their entrails as tight ropes and what have you mm-hmm. to get to Orion where they're going to duke it out. And then, as Tom King loves to do, here's your major confrontation. Sorry, Darkseid has robbed it from you. Yeah, yeah. But that over that entire um, issue, we we see them having a very marital conversation of... Barda going like, we have a lot of shit to get done, 
there is no room in our condo and we need to create room by getting rid of some stuff. And Scott replying emotionally, but I like our stuff and I like our stuff where it is. Um, she's like, you're holding on to Oberon's old cigar boxes. Oberon is dead. You can get rid of those boxes. Uh, but I like those boxes. And she's not sentimental and he's all sentimental. She's not. Yeah. But then finally she reveals that the reason they need more room in the condo is because she's pregnant and they're going to have a child. And he replies, you know, of course, by saying, I love you. And she says, I believe you. And, um, He's like, I'll get rid of the cigar boxes. <laughs> and, and, you know, he acquiesces to her plan to create room in the condo for their child. Yay. I love that. Now, Lisa, you mentioned earlier how the superpowers of Scott Free and Big Barda complement each other. What exactly were you talking about there? Well, if you think about it, like Barda's power is that she is enormous she is strong and she's physically imposing yeah mitch jared's by the way man he it's my favorite interpretation of big barda i haven't seen her in a lot of books but usually when i see her um i love well i do like the jack kirby version of big barda but he, he gives like this amazonian presence to big barda that i i sort of wish wonder woman would have in comics yeah wonder woman tends to have like a, a more of a model physique where she is you know very narrow like big barda is gorgeous but she is a brick house she's a beast she is a beast and very physically imposing and still sexy super sexy um her power is to be there. Her her power is to fight. And Scott's power is to leave. And his power is to disappear. And um and his first inclination in every situation is to get out of it. And and we see this again and again in their relationship with like if you think about the trial, like she with Oberon, not Oberon, Orion, similar names. <laughs> I'm not going to blame myself for that. Orion. Um, she wants to fight their way out of it. And she wants, and she has to kind of hold herself in where Scott goes like, well, we'll go through the trial and whatever happens, I'll get out of it later. And so he tends to be mm. a little bit more of a procrastinator because on doing things. Because he's always escaped. Yeah, because he has a presumption that, oh, I'll, I'll get out of this. So later when uh, Darkseid has put the negotiation forth of, I will no longer use the anti-life equation. I will end this war. I will save your people. All you have to do is turn over your son Scott sees that as, well, this war situation that we've been trapped in now has an escape plan. And the escape plan is giving up Jacob. And that is the only way out that I see. And Barda. And he has that whole conversation with the retail clerk. Yeah. Which, by the way, you should never get life advice from a retail clerk. I'm saying this as a former retail clerk. We don't know what's <laughs> going on. 
Uh, and that, that, that clerk is saying, uh, you know, like the greater good, right? It's the Star Trek two versus Star Trek three philosophy. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. It's very Spock of him, but big Barda is not Spock. Big Barda is Kirk. Right. And, and they end up having this conversation on a park bench where, um, he's saying, you know, like we do, we have to think about more people than Jacob. We have to think about everybody. And, and we got through apocalypse. We were raised on apocalypse and we're fine. And she goes, we are not fine. Mm. You, I found you on the bathroom mm. floor having tried to kill yourself. Is that something that someone who's fine does? And it comes to the fact that, you know, she's, he, he goes, well, like, that's unfair. Because I was just doing my thing. I was just trying to escape. Yeah, total and BS. She, and she goes, like, well, when do I get to escape? Like, my job is being present. My job is taking care of you. And when do I get to get out of things? Mm. And it's... So good. <laughs> it's that conversation and then the conversation with um, Funky Flashman where Funky Flashman tells... tells uh, the um, story of Galactus and the Silver Surfer <laughs> yeah. using a dog and... and a, um, a star eater. A star eater? Ugh. So uh, good, but but. And by the way, Jacob, Jack Kirby, Funky Flashman, using Jacob to tell that story. Yeah, oh, but but Tom Funky King. Flashman making the point of like, you know, Scott goes like, what what is that story really about? And Funky Flashman goes like, well, it's not my story, it's Jacob's story, and isn't isn't that what makes this important that ultimately this is Jacob's story. Yeah, but can I also just say yeah. that Stan Lee is telling Scott Free that it's not my story, it's Jack Kirby's story? Oh, so good. <laughs> oh yeah. But he goes, okay, well, my wife, my wife's escape is being a mother to this child and getting out of this life of war. This really comes down to this is Jacob's story. I want Jacob to be able to have his own story that is not marred by a childhood on apocalypse. So that's when he goes to um, Barda and says, like, okay, I'm going to pretend like I'm giving over our son, but ultimately I'm going to kill, kill Darkseid so that we can keep our son. And Barda goes like, okay, I'll help. And then they have sex because they're so relieved and they love each other so much. And this is him going like, okay, I'm going to do things your way so that you can have this thing. And they just, she just feels so seen in that moment and so understood. And they express their love to each other through sex, which is beautiful. Now, before we end this conversation, I don't think we can go without talking about dark side is mm -hmm. those two words that reoccur throughout the entire run uh, and and ultimately climax with that 12 issue. Uh, what 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 do you get from that thought 
Uh, and what do you think Tom King is ultimately trying to say? Well, there are two, like, along with Dark Side is, there is also this through line of seeing the face of God. Um, it opens, one of the opening ideas of this run is um, there's a child. Uh, the teacher tells the class, you can draw whatever you want. And so one child says, well, I'm drawing the face of God. And uh, the teacher goes, no, nobody knows what the face of of God looks like. And and they say, uh, well, they, they will now see what the face of God looks like. And I have literally heard that story from the pulpit at church. I've heard priests open their homilies with that story, which I find really interesting. Um, but then later, um, Metron warns Scott, like, you're not you're not supposed to see the face of God. And so we see Scott grappling th with this idea of the face of God and what does that mean. And um, the center of that storyline comes in that last day on of life issue, which is issue number five, I think. Uh, let me just double check. Hold on. Sure. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Issue number five, the sex issue. <laughs> You think of it as the sex issue. I think of it as the Descartes issue. Mm, yeah, well. <laughs> That's revealing. Uh, no comment. But um, Barda and Scott, well, it's really mostly Scott, is on the beach having this conversation with himself. He's and, monologuing. And, and Barda is just kind of there. Um, but he is talking about Descartes and Descartes' proof of God. And ultimately what Descartes comes up with is, um, well, I exist and therefore God exists. But then Kant comes along and Kant is like, well, that's just a tautology. That's just like a, um, that's just like a play on words. Like you're the person who's defining what God is. And therefore by you defining what God is, then God exists. And that's, that's just crazy. And so Scott comes to the conclusion of without God, I don't exist. And if I exist, then God exists. And so I think that that's what the dark side is means in that context of dark side is creating this conflict in their life. Dark side is creating this doubt and because dark side exists, Scott exists and Barda exists. Right. And then on the last page of the 12th issue, the final issue, mm -hmm. when Barda and Scott are on the couch reflecting on everything that has happened, uh, you know, and Scott says, you know, I can't, I can't even remember what they were talking about, but, you know, like I, I want to run to the store, um, you know, but I forgot, you know, with everything going on and. Barter's response is, dark side is, <laughs> and Scott's response is, yeah, I know, but we are too. Yeah. Not the, Scott is too, but we are too. Yeah, yeah, and, and the fact that we're having these conflicts, that we have we have issues that arise in our lives, that that's what proves that we exist. Um, the uh, face of God um, conflict ends with Scott looking into the face of Jacob and and Jacob looking into his face and he feels like 
when Jacob looks into his face, he looks past him and sees all of the generations of fathers that came before him. And when he sees Jacob, he looks past Jacob and he sees all of the generations that come after him. And for Scott, that that is the face of God, that that the meaning that Scott finds in his life does not come from being a superhero does not come from being like Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman. For him, the meaning of life comes from being uh, being Jacob's father and being a father to all of the generations that come after him and, and um, Jacob being able to see his father and see all of the ge- generations that come before him. Being part of that circle of life, if I may make a super sweet Lion King reference right now. (laughs) Just being part of that circle of life gives Scott the meaning that he's been seeking all of this time. It's so interesting going online and reading reviews of the 12th issue of Mr. Miracle. And if you go to the comic book sites, so much of the conversation is about continuity and where does this series fit within, you know, DC rebirth and all the crises and what have you. And, and how, how Scott really, his ultimate conclusion is to not be part of continuity, right. to be its own thing. Uh, but I, you know, ultimately Mr. Miracle is this extremely internal story about a man finding his place in the world, trying to reconcile with his his relationship with his wife and now mother of his child and now his own identity as a father. Right. Like it's 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 so not superhero. I love it. Yeah. I, I mean I it. just love it so much. So the unanswered question of the final panel where Scott and Barda kiss and we see that uh, VHS scratching mm-hmm. uh, that indicates that reality might not be reality. Uh, that that question that we're left on, for me, doesn't really matter how we answer it. Right. The, you know, Scott has found his place in his world and what's going on in, you know. Greater continuity. Greater continuity doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. There are all kinds of little clues and hints throughout the story of like what is what is reality and what could it be like um, in the first issue. And I kept forgetting to try and follow this. But in the first time he experiences what we start to presume might be the anti-life equation, he doesn't know if Barda's eyes are brown or blue. Right. And um, throughout that issue in particular, we see her eye color switch yeah. back and forth. <laughs> and I for, I kept forgetting to check uh-huh. throughout the book. Uh-huh. Like, Same. well, are are her eyes brown or blue? And does does that mean something? It doesn't matter. And, it, and ultimately, it doesn't mean anything. I don't know. I think Mr. Miracle is going to be a great reread. Uh, it's going to be collected in a trade paperback in February of next year. Yay. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I really want a hardcover, though. Give know, me a hardcover, I, DC. I generally read comics and trades. And, um, you know, Brad, always, we, we on Wednesday, we hit up 
you know, Big Planet comics and we we get our single issues. But for the most part, I'm just like, I'll read it in trade. And so to read Mr. Miracle in the floppies, like every time <laughs> I would hit an ad, I would just be taken out of it. I just can't stand it. Do you have a favorite ad, though, when you're reading these single issues? I do. <laughs> That is the kind of question you ask when you want to share your this answer. Is such so a you tangent. go ahead. This is such a tangent. And yes, because, yeah, I want to share. And you made comment of it while you were reading the issues. I was in the room with you. Oh, yeah. And you turn the page and suddenly there's this giant ad for Bendis is coming uh, and Superman. And yeah. the idea that Brian Michael Bendis has jumped ship. And I love that DC Comics is just like, aha, we got him. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, Audibly scoffed. <laughs> scoff, scoff, scoff. Okay, let's wind down, Lisa. Um, let's end this episode the way we always do. Um, how can we apply what we read in these 12 issues to our own relationship? Well, for me, like, I came away feeling like I could be like Big Barda more often because I feel like, you know, I have my issues like i have an anxiety disorder and i'm dealing with you know whatever just life and i am i am the person who i feel like falls apart more often and i depend on you to take care a lot of the time wait do you think i'm big barda i think that you're big barda more often than i'm big barda interesting and but then we see in this book times where where scott has to fill that role. And even though he scratches his head a lot about it, he's able to do it. Where I feel like um, when you're in conflict and you're having issues and, and you're having your moment of emotion emotionality, you know, like you'll get upset and then I'll be like, well, I'm upset too. You know what I mean? Like I, I tend to um, when you, you are spiraling, exactly. When you're spiraling out of control, I reflect back that behavior, which is it's selfish. really annoying, Lisa. I, I well, I think that <laughs> it is a selfish thing to do, and it's do. also something that I do, Lisa, <laughs> and we know that. Well, I remember. I can't remember if this was before we got married or early in our relationship, where um, I was talking to my mom, and she was like, "Well, you're both sensitive people." Yeah. And that's going to be hard. Yeah. Where, um, and, and I mean, she was, she's not wrong. We're both like sensitive people, but I think that, that more often than not, we deal, you know, and, and it makes me think about my parents' relationship and, um, how like when, when my mom would be upset, she would withdraw and then my dad would have to be the one to take care. And um, he was visibly uncomfortable with it. You know, like he would look visibly like when my dad is stressed, he raises his eyebrows. And um, so, you know, we kids would be like, you know, mom would be, you know, freaking out, like not, you know, not audibly. She was not one to like cry or anything, but mom would be mad and she would be in another room and dad would just walk out of that other room with his eyebrows raised and he'd say something like, uh, we better all clean our rooms, <laughs> you know? And that was the way, like, I think that mom would consider herself in their relationship, the sensitive one. And then my dad to be the one to take care, even though my mom was the take care of when it came to us kids, like, you know, 
80% of the time. I think when you're reading something like Mr. Miracle, where it's clear that the protagonist you know, is scot-free mm-hmm. and, and Big Barda is, is a, a supporting character, yeah. but she, you know, we're in Scott's head. So when you walk away from the book, you're relating to scot-free. I certainly see more of myself in scot-free than I do in Big Barda. But the idea that I thought about while reading this comic book in regards to our own relationship is we, I don't even know where you got this metaphor from. You'll have to enlighten me. Okay. The idea of someone in the relationship at all times has to carry the spoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a mix of a couple metaphors. Well, unpack it for me real quick. Okay. Well, (laughs) the idea of spoons, like, it's um, a mental health metaphor that started popping up on the internet of, um, like, emotionally, we all have a certain set a certain number of spoons, like the certain amount of yourself that you have to give. And some people have less spoons than others. Like, like maybe emotionally I have four or five spoons. And once I've used up my four or five spoons, then like, then I have to withdraw and I have to do self care. Um, and then the trading back and forth actually comes from a stand-up comedian, uh, Jackie Cation. Jackie Cation is a married woman, and she got married later in life. So a lot of her ideas of what you're supposed to be like when you're cohabitating with someone came from the idea of like roommates, and you don't want to put too much on your roommate And her husband, I wish I could remember his name. I'm horrible. Um, But her husband um, had to express to her, you're allowed to put put stuff on me. Like, I I will do things I don't want to do for you. And he said, you know, every time we um, take a bullet for each other, every time we do something selfless for the other person, we could pay each other a dollar. And we would just spend our entire rest of our lives trading that $1 back and forth because we are a couple and it is our job to take bullets for each other, essentially. So the way that story, those two stories have morphed in our relationship Mm -hmm. is if Lisa's having a really terrible day, uh, she'll say to me, Brad, I need you to hold the spoon. Mm -hmm. And, And that means, you know. You got to be big Barda, Brad. You you've got to be the strong one in this relationship while I work out the baggage I'm dealing with today. And so, in reading this book, you know, Big Barda for most of the the story is holding the spoon. Right. And I don't know if I necessarily like found something to grow from this book. I but that's how I related to it. This idea I- of. I, I need I need Lisa and and when I say I need Lisa I mean Lisa for everything she has just said she honestly has been the one to hold the spoon uh, the most for me and I and I, I really appreciate that so I I often think of you as Big Barda ah well I think it's interesting that we started this episode talking about how we both quit our jobs and we <laughs> and we did it in kind of a haphazard reckless fashion and I think part of it so I was a full-time teacher and that is and I got a certain amount of fulfillment out of it um I 
I'm a musician. I was a music major at school. So I was a music teacher at a K through eight school. And it was rewarding, but it was also extraordinarily stressful. And during that entire time, and I did that for five years. And during that entire time, I was a wreck. I was stressed. Um, There there were times of the year where I could literally do nothing else but school. And and my personality does not handle that well. And so you, for those five years of me being at school, you had to hold the spoon a lot of the time. Yeah. And then finally I reached a point where I go, I went, I can't teach anymore. I cannot be a classroom teacher anymore. So I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to switch to private teaching, which is what I do now. I, I teach in home piano and voice students. And so doing that was like this tremendous relief to me and then but that's when the stress of brad's job so but the thing is you were holding the spoon for me yeah and you were at the breaking point yeah and then i did this thing that made me emotionally available to hold the spoon and i was like that looks pretty great but then that's when you really began to express the stress that you were feeling at your retail job and um and that's when I broke. You broke. And and I had to hold the spoon for that. And you've had to hel- hold the spoon a lot this past year as we've been working out our finances and, you know. Healthcare. And healthcare and, and all that and stuff. And all of that stuff. Yay. So, but to me, like, you, I think that you do have to be aware of how fair it is to make the other person hold a spoon for an extended amount of time. Because we saw that in in Scott and Barda's relationship with the conversation on the bench where Barda essentially said, you know, since you attempted suicide all of those, you know, issues ago, I have had to take care of you. And now it's my turn to escape. And he, and he acknowledged that, yeah, it's, it's, it really is my turn to hold the spoon. And I, and I do think that you have to be able to look at your relationship from the outside and see if, have I been emotionally selfish and seeking the, the support of my partner an unfair amount of time? And, and I think that, um, that, that is something that, couples could do or should do is take the temperature of their relationship and kind of weigh the scales of have I been doing my part, my, my part of being supportive or have I been the supported one? So that about does it for our bonus episode and our last episode of 2019. One month of the comic book couples counseling podcast down. Yeah. Yeah. Success. Just like in the comic, the Mr. Miracle series will not be continued. This was a bonus episode. We're only doing one episode on Scott Free and Big Barda for the time being. 
They might come back. We we uh, reserve the right to bring any couple back we desire. Yesterday, after completing this series, I did go out to my local Barnes & Noble and purchased all 18 issues of the Jack Kirby run and then proceeded to read all of that. Yay! And I had a blast. Oh, so good. I would also recommend those original books. Positively. I, I'll read them. You better. We own it. I always end these episodes with more homework than I came in with. What? Why is that a thing? Because <laughs> comics, man. Ugh. Okay, so we will return next week in the year 2019. In the year 2019. In the year 2019. <laughs> Masters. <laughs> Masters degree in music. Don't sing off with me, friend. We're kicking off the new year with a new comic book couple, Marco and Alana from the Image comic book series Saga, written by Brian K. Vaughn and illustrated by Fiona Staples. Yes, so this new series we're going to tackle with Volume 1, which contains the first six issues. And just like we applied the relationship book, The Five Love Languages, to Scott and Jean in December, for Saga we're working with the 90s classic Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, written by Ph.D. John Gray. Spoiler alert, Lisa's loving this book. Uh, it is a freaking tome. It is almost <laughs> 400 pages, and uh, each chapter he says the same three things like 37 times. He loves to drive a point home. Yeah, but Lisa, we're talking about a sci-fi space book, and we're using a relationship book with a sci-fi space metaphor. That's right. And Marco and Alana are from different planets. That's literally. True. Okay, Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter and Instagram. And Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. And uh, of course, follow our podcast. You can commit. To our podcast. Yes, at CBCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And feel free to email us. Yeah, you can do that. What? CBCC Podcast at gmail.com. I had literally no idea. Yeah. So, should we end this episode with our signature catchphrase? Why not? Keep your love tank full and your psychic rapport. Open. Doopy doopy. Bum bum ba da bum bum ba da ba. <laughs> <laughs>